0: It's Acts 15, verses 1 to 12, and then verses 22 to 29. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and hear and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Oh, sorry, I've gone too far. (laughs) Yeah, ignore that last bit. And now we're going to 22. Um, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God did not discriminate between us and them, says Peter, in that reading we've just heard. Well, first of all, it's a delight to be here this morning, um, to be here from... 8.45 through Lighthouse and now here. And actually, in the most rare moment in my life, I've actually been able to go and join young people in their worship. I've had much exercise. (laughs) I have shown my total inability um, to to follow instructions. (laughs) And I've received enormous encouragement. There you go. What better church is that to belong to? One in which actually people didn't say to me, you got it wrong, Bishop. That's what lots of people tell me. But actually, you can belong. You're one of us, provided you don't sit on that chair and you sit on the floor with us, which is quite difficult, (laughs) but there you go. So it's really good to be here this morning. The reading we just heard from the Acts of the Holy Apostles is, again, one of those critical moments in the life of the early church when the early Christian community has got to come to some decision. They've got to work out what God is about and they're going to work out not only what God is about, but what effect they're learning that is going to have on them. And in that reading we just heard, we find that discussion going on. The church, the followers of Jesus Christ, had begun to grow in number. Rejoice and be glad. They'd heard this life-giving word of Jesus Christ, and the apostles had helped them to discover it and learn it. And all was looking wonderful until... Of course, problems arise. And the problems arose for them when some of them they believe couldn't belong actually turned up and want to start to belong. The Gentiles. The outsiders. The strangers. The foreigners. Us. And here it is, they've turned up. They've heard this word of God calling them to repentance So they've heard the word of John the Baptist, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. They'd heard and experienced something of the resurrection, that life-giving moment when Jesus Christ sends his people into the world in his name. They'd heard all that, and they said, we want some of that. We too want to belong to this Christian community as it begins to emerge, these followers of Jesus. And then, of course those who had belonged from the beginning, those who come out of the Jewish tradition, began to say, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. We actually have decided who belongs already, and that's those who've accepted, in their sense, the circumcision which God had given to Abraham, that sign that God had given that they were his chosen people, called by him and sent by him. They belonged and anybody else, just tough, really. It's hard luck, but they wouldn't have said that, but they might have thought it. But actually, there's no room here for you. And so we find this discussion beginning. And the apostles have got to grapple with what God is about. And what, being, discovering what God is about, what effect that's going to have on them. And what they discover God is about is inclusion. God invites every human being to belong to this community, his people. He invites them all. So we hear Peter saying, God did not discriminate between us and them. In our human lives, we all know the power of discrimination today. We see it all around us. Every single day we see discrimination going forward the discrimination between those who belong and those who don't, between, if you like, the them and the us that exists in our world. And we see it being lived out in many different ways, in many different characteristics. We've seen discrimination in color. We've seen it very vividly. We're seeing it at the moment happening in Zimbabwe still. Actually, the discrimination about the ruling party as to who's going to cling hold to power and who are without power. We see discrimination in our own society, in gender, between men and women. All that disturbance, for example, in the media about, you know, equal pay. And then suddenly we discover that actually it's not equal pay. And some get paid more than others, and they don't want to tell each other what they've got. And so we see that sense of discrimination. We see discrimination, sometimes and most sadly, between those who have family or relationships and those who don't. One of the challenges for us as the Christian community is the very words we use, particularly around that word of family, because we all have a picture in mind. If I say family to you, I imagine you have a certain picture in mind or certain pictures of welcome, of encouragement, of love, of fun and joy. You know, even when it's hard and you're grappling with it, it's still worth h- clinging a hold to family. And yet there are many people in our society for whom the word family is an unimaginably abusive word. So being invited to belong to a family, for them, can mean a fear of what's going to happen. Last Thursday... Um, I confirmed in one of our communities, I confirm on average twice a week, sometimes more across the year, 60 or 70 times. It's a huge privilege. One of the parts of my life as a bishop that I find the most life-giving of anything I'm invited to do, because I stand in front of somebody and say, do you turn to Jesus Christ? And I've been privileged before I reach that point to have listened into something of their stories and heard what's gone on. Well, last Thursday, um, one young man stood in front of me, um, and before I said to him, do you turn to Christ, he looked to me and said, can I tell you my story, Bishop? I want you to hear it. So I said, of course you can. So he began his story. It was a story of the wreckage of the whole of his human life. He'd been abandoned as a child, so had no experience of parental love whatsoever. He'd been through a series of um, homes and fostering, in one of which, only one of which he was able to tell me, he had been abused, physically abused, by the people to whom he had been entrusted. He went on to tell the wreckage of his life it had gone on. He discovered that in this life, the only way to survive is to be canny, in other words, to work it out, how, it's going to, how you survive in this life. And he said he'd become very clever at it. Not clever enough, because the legal system in this country found him out, and he'd spent quite a lot of his life in prison, one place after the other. And in those prisons, he'd learned some more tricks of the trade. He'd learned of how to gain power What you could trade in prison and unashamedly he told the story of trading drugs in prison and saying this gave him power and authority. You can imagine at this stage that the congregation's looking pretty um, shell-shocked let alone the bishop who's standing there because I haven't yet asked him do you turn to Christ he's still telling the story at great length And then, he said, something happened. Something happened. He'd come out of prison. He'd gone on the streets. He was homeless. And nobody seemed to care. He was sleeping on the streets of one of our communities. Last Christmas, he said, on a day before Christmas, somebody stopped and said, who are you? And he said, it was the first time in his life he'd ever known anybody interested enough to ask him who he was. And he said, I'm John. And that person sat down on the street with him and listened to his story. It would have been easy, in human terms, to have entered into discrimination. Here is this dirty, he said he was physically dirty, heavily tattooed person, every part of his body, mercifully he didn't show me all of it, (laughs) but all I could see was covered in tattoos, and he was begging on the street. And the person said, who are you? I'm John, he said. And that was the beginning of his discovery that God did not discriminate. Thank God the person who sat down with him on the road, on the street, was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that person was in the congregation. Um, didn't say anything, but was in the congregation. And patiently and quietly and sensitively, over the months, had drawn John into the life of the Christian community. To the point where he came to say, when I said to him, do you turn to Christ? He looked me absolutely eyeball to eyeball and said, I turned to Christ. And then he went on, because he was that sort of person. (laughs) He went on and said, I want to know more about him. And then he said, And do you know, he said, I've always wanted to meet you, pointing at me. I've always wanted to meet you, he said. I want to know why you wear those funny clothes. So I said to him, Well, why are you wearing your funny clothes? And so we we had this conversation in the the midst of the confirmation service. And then I had the most extraordinary privilege which comes to me as bishop. You will all know that at the point of confirmation, I place my hands on the person's head and say, God has called you by your name and made you his own. Confirm, O Lord, your servant, John, with your Holy Spirit. And usually, at that stage, the person says, Amen. John didn't. I'd gone through it. John, God has called you by your name and made you his own. Confirm, O Lord, your servant, John, with your Holy Spirit. And he went, Yes! Yes! And the confirmation continued. (laughs) Why do I tell John's story? Well, it is about how do we know the mind of God? How can any of us know the mind of God? It's an unimaginable um, thought. Paul will say in one of his great writings, God has given us his mind given us the mind of Jesus Christ and you he says you are to grow as those who have the mind of Jesus Christ within you God says Peter did not discriminate between us and them so here's the Christian community 2000 years ago a bit less than that having to grapple with this question, which has confronted the church, the Christian community in every generation since. Who has the right to belong? And how are those who already belong going to treat them? It is the reason, for example, why Luther, whose 500th anniversary we've been commemorating recently, why Luther was such a powerful irritant to the Christian community of his day. The Christian community wasn't doing anything wrong in one sense. It was trying to be faithful. It was living out its life together. And here comes this quiet, unassuming, ordinary monk called Luther. And he pitches his great statements. And they are statements that capture the same question who can belong and on what terms. For Luther, his judgment was that the church of his day had turned in on itself. Turned in on itself and actually chosen to live for itself alone. Others were welcome to join, provided they paid their money and joined in and kept the rules. That was okay. But a God who was not to deal with, with rules but with generosity of love for that church was unacceptable. Or think again of John Wesley, the great preacher, and his brother Charles, who's given us such wonderful, wonderful hymnody songs to sing. Here are they, suddenly John, speaking of his heart strangely warming within him. And as his heart is warmed, he knows he's being sent on a mission. He's going to go and share that love with other people. John is going to become the one who gets off the pedestal and sits on the floor and says, who are you? And in every generation, thank God, God has given the Christian community such a voice. It's hard to hear it, incredibly hard to hear it, because the voice challenges all our assumptions or all our patterns of life, all the things we do naturally, most of which aren't wrong or bad, they're just the way we do it. I sometimes find when I go to a community I haven't been before, and I say usually to the church wardens, how'd do you do it here? And they say, oh, it's just straightforward, Bishop, like everybody does. And then I begin to unpack what everybody does, and I discover, of course, that this community doesn't do it quite like that community, and things happen. Um, and sometimes, because I don't always remember what I've been told, um, when I get into the service, I find myself doing something and I think to myself, hmm, perhaps they don't quite do it that way here. You know, you can see people are beginning to get be a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, um, how long is this going to go on for? You know, will we get lunch today or will we still be here tomorrow? You know, and is he really in control and what's and all that? But that's the voice of God sometimes, not my voice, that voice of God which quietly, persistently says to us, how do you know what I am about? How do you know what I want to be doing? So the Christian community is, in my experience in judgment, called first of all, we are called to be a listening community. It's hard for us. Because by nature, we're a fairly noisy community, God's people. We talk a lot. We want to do lots of things. But to be invited to listen to the heartbeat of God seems to me that's what makes us, in the eyes and experience of many people around, a deeply attractive community. Not superficially attractive, but deeply and inwardly attractive. Why did John come to say he turned to Christ? Because somebody had listened to him. They didn't have answers for him. He didn't want them. What he wanted was somebody to listen. and To say, who are you? And he's able to say, I am John. Yesterday, as you know, over the 24 hours that began on Friday through until yesterday, I invited the whole Christian community of our diocese and in Jersey and Guernsey and Sark and Alderney and Home to actually find a space in the midst of our busy lives to listen. Yesterday morning in Faversham in St. Mary of Charity, lots of people from across the diocese came together for a very particular hour and at the end of it, um, I invited, we invited people, if they wanted to, to, to say what they'd heard from God. Some spoke openly, and a few people, quite a lot, when we'd finished it, took opportunity to come up to me and say, This is what I heard, Bishop. It was interesting. Some people came up to me and said, This is what I heard, Bishop. Is that all right? It's a very interesting thought, really, wanting approval for what they'd heard. But two themes came from that whole listening yesterday morning from people. The first and very dominant word was the invitation to care more sensitively for God's world and God's people. Because we live in an increasingly brutal world, in my judgment, a world in which that human discrimination absolutely abounds at the moment. We live in a world in which, in my judgment, the whole of our public discourse is now utterly and completely toxic. Our public discourse from politicians, from anybody in authority, seemingly, is a word of destruction. It seeks to point fingers of blame, and it seeks to destroy. And my fear is that that toxic public discourse will achieve what it's setting out to achieve, which is the destruction of our community life together. The answer It's not stronger rhetoric, louder voices, but I believe the invitation to care. That's what was going on in that Acts lesson. How are we going to care for these people who've heard the word of God? Are we going to treat them as objects, tell them the rules, you can't belong unless you're circumcised, You've got to do this. You've got to be like that. In other words, you've got, to be, you're able, you've got to prove that you're like us. Or will the care be that says, you're welcome. You're welcome. The second word that came powerfully to people yesterday, when I had myself, I felt it throughout the day yesterday, were the words, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. Be of good courage. Be of God's courage. For I have overcome the world. To be of God's courage is to place ourselves where God is, knowing his mind. To place ourselves there. And be prepared to pay the cost of being there where God is. Because where God is, is never ever cost free. It just isn't. We know that. Because we see and we know we've experienced the cost that God pays. Of this extraordinary inclusive love. The cost he pays is the cross the cross of love and forgiveness he pays it and thank God he has paid it for me and for you and for us he's done it once and for all on that cross he showed us how much he loves us this is God at work this is the God doesn't discriminate, but invites and cares. Now, of course, as the story in Acts goes on, there are consequences. There have to be for those who know the mind of God, for those who have experienced this extraordinary, extravagant, generous love of care and welcome. There are consequences. And those consequences are the life we then lead once we've heard it, once we've experienced it, once we're part of, we go on, and we struggle because it is a struggle. We're all if we're honest with each other, it's a huge struggle to be the Christian community today, like God wants us to be. But that's what He invites us in His name to be a community that lives. His mind. So it begins again with prayer, how we learn what God is saying. Why it's so critically, in my judgment, even more so today, for us to read his word and struggle with it. Struggle with his word. Why we need to talk about it with each other and discern how we can help each other understand what this word of God is trying to say to us. When we do these things, his mind grows in us. Why? We don't know, if we're honest. Why would God choose me, you, us? Because we could say to him, you know we're no good at this stuff. You know we'll get it wrong. You know we'll discriminate. You know God knows everything. Another word from the Acts reading this morning. God knows everything, and he does. But knowing everything, he invites us to live his mind in his world. To do that, yes, we need to begin caring sensitively, but we need to have his courage. Be of God's good courage, for I have overcome the world. And having God's courage is having the grace to do what that man did for John, Very ordinary, very straightforward. He saw it. Twice this morning, we haven't had the notices yet, have we? Have we had the notices yet? I was busy with young people. You may have done the notices. You probably haven't had the collection yet. Have you had the collection yet? Oh, well, it's still to come. All those joys. Twice this morning, I've heard about um, um, reverse advent. We're going to hear about it again. I hope so. Um, I liked it reverse Advent, I won't steal the thunder but it was an opportunity, an invitation to actually if you like not only speak words but live them which is why we need each other to help us none of us can do this on our own we need each other and so in the Acts of the Holy Apostles reading this morning The Christian community is struggling and into their struggle is spoken God's word I do not discriminate I love I welcome and I forgive but then they have to learn the next stage which is there are some if you like the consequences you are to abstain from eating the meat given to idols. In other words, you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't live in both camps. You have to choose. Are you for Jesus Christ or are you not? And if you're with him, here's life. If you're not with him, here's death. But don't sit in the middle, thinking you have a bit of both. So those Gentiles who've been brought up and experienced idol worship, I could preach forever on idols today, there are legions of them, but actually you have to put idols on one side if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are not to indulge, he says, in sexual immorality. And we see much of that around at the moment, the sexualization of many of our young people. We see it in the way in which human beings are literally traded one for another. The most shameful, shameful experience I've had over the past three years has been going to Calais, and many of you know I go to Calais quite often to join those people who are seeking for a new life, to go there and to talk with young people who are being sexually traded into this country. They are being sold into slavery with the promise of new life. I think of David, 15-year-old boy who'd spent the year or so before I met him on a most unimaginable journey from his own homeland. He talked to me. He spoke extraordinary good English. Um, He spoke to me about witnessing the murder of his parents and his family. And he then told the story of journeying across Europe in search of a new life. He talked about the people he'd met on the road some of whom had abused him and he said because he seemed a very pretty boy attractive young man to some so they abused him some he said spat on him because they didn't want him. he'd arrived in the jungle, as it was called. And somebody from this country, and he knew it was from this country, the place of his dreams, had said to him, here's everything. Here's money. Here's a life. All you have to do is come with me. The only thing that stood between David and further abuse was a young Christian. A young Christian who said to David, I'll stay with you. Don't go there. And thank God he didn't. But there are many like him who are being traded into this country, this country about which we speak and sold into sexual slavery. So Paul, Peter can say in that story, the Christian community is to have nothing to do with this. The abuse, sexualization, and life, which may have characterized your life before, but is not to be the character of the Christian community. Do these things, and that's enough. And that's the challenge for us. Who is welcome in our Christian communities? How will we know their story? Dare we listen? And dare we pay the cost of speaking and living in our world and to prove that actually God does not discriminate? It's the scandal of the gospel. And as I've said already... The church in every generation, in every place across the world has to struggle with this issue. And we are still struggling because we know the reality that some who long to hear the word of Jesus Christ, they may not use those words, I'm not interested in that, but who want to know something of being, having an identity, of giving, being given a hope, a purpose look at us and say well if that's what it looks like you can keep it we don't set out to be like that but it's how it can be heard and perceived and sometimes received that we too have rules and regulations about belonging, about where you can sit and what you have to do before you can truly join in What I'm trying to say is I think the gospel says to us there can never be a point at which you, the people of God, think you've got it all worked out, because the moment you think you've got it all worked out, you ain't got anything worked out. You have to start again. So the Christian life, in my experience, is a daily struggle, a daily recognition that i need you my brothers and sisters in christ to help me on the journey that we need to hear the very beginning and at the heart of it god's word to us and when we hear it be prepared to pay the cost of listening the cost of love what is this passage of acts trying to say to us let me finish by making just two comments It seems to me the passage is trying to show us this extraordinary, unimaginable love of God. Unimaginable. And then secondly, it's saying to us, he is saying to us, I want you to live in the light and in the power of that unimaginable extraordinary, generous love such that you will dare to share my love with others, without condition, without regulation, and above all else, without discrimination. Why? Because they are my people, and you are my people, and I made you to be my people. God says, Peter, does not, did not discriminate between you, between us and them, you and me. God knows everything, and you and I, you and I, are the consequence of God not making, not acting in discrimination. Because if He did, I don't think any of us would be here this morning really we be outside we may want to come in but we'd be outside we're only here this morning because god did not discriminate against us but made judgment for us that he loves us and he loves us so much he will die for us and he loves us so much he will ask us to share his love with others I think that's enough.